It's great to see you again. My name is Carlos Azueta. I'm the teaching pastor of this campus, and I'm so glad that you're joining us this morning to worship the Lord. We started not so long ago a new series in the book of James, the letter of James, and we are so excited with a book like this, so practical, so up to date, so exactly what is what we needed to hear. I personally enjoyed it, and I personally am having to have a lot of adjustments in my own life. So I hope that can, you, can, you can relate to that and you can enjoy starting with us. We started talking about the joy that we need to have as we persevere in, in the trials and tribulations. The second week, we also understand that every trial comes with, with a temptation and see how the Word of God gave us the victory over those temptations, if we trust Him. Today, we're going to open the Scriptures, and we're going to see how the Scripture will help us, not only to overcome temptation, but also to walk through those trials and see how the Lord is leading us. Have you ever read some of the warning messages that some consumer products has printed under packages? You might like these ones. For instance, on a fishing hook, it says, harmful, harmful if you swallow it. On an electric drill, it says, this product is not intended for use as a dental drill. On a portable stroller, it says, remove child before folding. On a package of a fireplace log, it says, caution, risk of fire. On a heat transfer patch wrapper says, do not iron while wearing the shirt. On a hairdryer, do not use while sleeping. You may think, that's foolish. I mean, why they do that? How in the world they're putting that kind of messages in those packaging on these products? Do you think that some people might actually do that? Well, Maybe, but what is foolish is after receiving the message, after knowing exactly what harm these products may cause if we are not careful, and if we continue ignoring those warnings, that's what is foolish. And in some ways, I believe that James chapter 1, specifically in the verses 19 to 27, the writer, James, is telling us that that is a message that is given to us. And what we need to do with that message is not, is not ignore it. We need to do it. We need to put it in practice. So before we look in the scriptures, I would like to do something different today. I would like to take a moment at this time. And I would like to invite you to say a, a, a short prayer. I would like to, for you to bow your heads, close your eyes, right there where you are. Concentrate between you and, you and the Lord in this moment. And I want to guide you. I, I, I would like for you to have this moment of prayer in which you can ask the Lord this particular thing. You can ask the Lord to help you. To help you to get anything that is a struggle right now. That it might be a hindrance for you to hear what the Word of God will tell you. 
any pride, any sin, any unconfessed sin, any situation, any worry, any concern that you have, ask the Lord to remove it so you can be clear completely so the Word of God can penetrate your heart this morning. Let's pray. So, Lord, this is, this is our prayer. We know. We know, Lord, that there are many things that are going to keep us from receiving your word this morning. And, and we know that the devil will do whatever it takes, anything, to distract us from receiving your word. And so we pray in Jesus' name that you, Father, will come and help us to be totally undivided in our attention this morning. That we will hear your word and what your word has to say to us. Please, Father, remove any arrogance or deceit so we can receive the power of your word this morning. And so, Father, we want you to, to receive our attention, to, to turn our hearts to you, our minds to you. Take over this time. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I we saw in the past two weeks in developing this main lesson that real faith produces genuine works. James already dealt at the beginning with uh, the perseverance of the Christian through trials and tribulations. Then we talk about the victory over temptation that is possible when we trust in God that he's leading us. Which actually that demonstrates the true character of a Christian. Today we're going to see the final section of chapter 1. And in this section, we can see how James zooms in into the believer's appropriate response to the Word of God. The main idea of this sermon is the following. When it comes to God's Word, just do it. Just do it. Just live it. No matter the moment, no matter the difficulty that you're going through, no matter how the, the outcome might be, uh, no matter anything, just, just put it in practice. That's exactly what James is telling us in the last few verses, beginning in verse 19, all the way to the end of the chapter 1, verse 27. So in these verses, James will motivate us to three critical directives. Number one, be quick to hear. Number two, be sure to do. And number three, be blessed by hearing and doing God's word. Let's see each one of those. The first one, be quick to hear. The word in Spanish is rápido. Can you say it? Rápido. You might say it's andale, but that's a different word. Be quick to hear. 
Verse 19 says, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must be all quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word of God has planted in your heart, for it has the power to save your soul. Here, we can see that James begins this section with a command. Understand this. Know this. He's speaking to believers. He says, brothers and sisters. He's addressing this letter, as we saw previously, to Christian Jewish who are scattered because of the persecution of their faith. Everywhere. He's not addressing one town in particular. He's not addressing one group in particular. He's addressing all of them who are scattered everywhere because of their faith. They have been persecuted. So he began this section commanding them, saying, just understand this. And then he gives three other commands that actually serve as, a, as proverbs for living under the trials and temptations that we face in life. Not only for them, the original audience, but actually for all of us, followers of Christ. Moreover, if you are reading this letter, you will notice that this, actually, this section is presenting to us the outline for the rest of the book. When we talk about quick to hear, we're going to continue talking about the same subject until the end of chapter 2. When you see that we talk about slow to speak, beginning on chapter 3 and verse 1 until verse 18, we talk about the same subject. And lastly, slow, slow to anger, the remainder of the chapter, beginning in chapter 4 until the end of chapter 5. So James is writing to those Jewish Christians who has been scattered, who has been facing trials and tribulations and temptations. And now he is telling him that they need to remember something, that they need to know something. He's commanding them. He, he's not ordering. He is addressing them as someone that he will really love. But because they love them, they want them to understand this truth. And he presents this Three commands. The first one, be quick to hear. When we talk a lot, when we talk to much, it's so hard to listen. Don't you think? Yeah. We communicate to others what we think, our ideas are many times much more important than what they had to say to us. I don't know about you, but that might be some of you who love to talk about you. You always want to be interesting for the people. My command to you is don't be interesting, be interested. So you also get the chance to listen to what others have to say. And here we see James giving this recommendation. Basically, he's saying, wisely advising, just, just, be, be a little bit quick to hear. 
put a mental stopwatch on your conversations to keep track of how much you talk and how much you listen. Let me ask you something. When people talk with you, do they feel that they actually have viewpoints that you value? Or they just feel ignored because you have so much to say that you didn't give any chance for the person to respond to your questions or concerns. I don't think that James is talking only about speaking with other individuals. It's great that we are good listeners, but I think James is taking this truth a little bit further, and he is not only mentioned this about the circumstances, the people around us, but also he is taking us also to the Word of God. He is trying to say in this passage, be quick, not just to hear what the other person, but to hear what the Word of God is telling you. Be quick to hear a spiritual perspective. Be quick to hear what the Lord is saying to you. Be quick to appeal to heaven when you are facing calamities on earth. And do it quickly. We are often quickly to call a friend when we are in a difficult circumstance. Or maybe we go to any book or we go to a counselor to tell them that the problems that we're facing. We do all that first. When we need to do first, and according to James, is go to God first and tell him your problems, tell him your circumstances, your situation. Before you even talk to your spouse, before you even talk to anybody else, talk to God first. Yeah. And that's exactly what many of us don't do. We might say, well, God is a spirit. I don't see, I need, I need a human being. I need a flesh and blood who can listen to me, somebody who can tell me something. But James is telling you, no, 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 no. You need to slow down here. You need to be quick to hear what God is telling you. We need to acknowledge that the scripture is the authority of God. It's the final word. We need to acknowledge that when you're struggling, when you're in trials and tribulations and temptation, be quick to hear what God's point of view is. Human viewpoints might be okay, but they are subject to divine revelation. So be quick to hear. Number two, be quick, be slow to speak. Be quick to hear God's point of view. Be slow to express your own point of view. Be slow to say what you think, how you feel, and what you want. Oh, we love to talk about ourselves, especially when we are in the middle of any trial. Oh, it's all about me, right? <laughs> I just want to find somebody and tell me, you know what I'm going through. We crave an audience and most of the time we crave that somebody can give us a good set of ears so they can listen to what we're going through. But James is saying, uh, you better change that. When you find out what God has to say in his word, don't be too quick to argue or to suggest another approach. Before responding appropriately, think through what God has to say first. The Greek writer Plutarch observed this. He said, nature has given to each of us two set of ears and one tongue. 
because we ought to do less talking and more listening. In other words, you had to hear twice the time that you speak. That's why you got two sets of here. Unless you are having problems with one, then I may justify that. But now with hearing aids, you can actually accomplish more. This is seen in the scripture. Remember Job? Job discovered this truth in a really hard way. He was in many ways having a conversation with the Lord. And when you get to chapter 40 in Job's book, chapter 40, verses 3 to 5, he tells the Lord, Lord, I got to learn how to keep my mouth shut. I don't know what I was talking about, Lord. Because when God spoke, he found out that he really didn't have much to say. And then when you go to the end of the book, chapter 42, verse 3, you see how he finally said, Lord, I was just speaking things that I couldn't understand. I'm sorry, Lord. Now I know who you are. When we give God the chance to speak to us, you will be surprised how much he has to say to us. And he wants to say to us. In fact, God has a law to speak first. You will realize that when God speaks more, you will be speaking less and listen more. And we certainly wouldn't be listening to the lies of the corrupt culture in which we live. We wouldn't be thrown around or from one side to the other ones, believing whatever, what is a new fashion, the new thing that is happening, because we will be concentrated listening to God speaking through his word. So be quick to hear, be slow to speak, and be slow to anger. He says, be quick to hear God's perspective. Be slow to speak your own perspective or the culture's, especially when the culture disagrees with God. And then he says, be slow to anger. Never it is more difficult to be quick to hear or to be slow to speak than when anger takes over. And, and don't get me wrong. James is not saying that it's wrong to be angry. When anger is justified, when anger is justified because in many ways injustice and sin has to provoke us that Godly anger, you can put it this way. The problem is when most of the time our anger is unjustified. It's selfish. It's the things that they've done to me. They don't listen to me. They didn't take in consideration my opinions. They didn't say hello this morning when I got to the church, so I'm going to find a new church. And you take your anger, anger with you. That, that's not justified. Remember when the prophet Nathan told David that there was a story about um, a stolen sheep? That somebody make a barbecue out of it? King David was angry. Because it was the only little lamb that this family had. It was like the pet of the family. And somebody is stolen and, and kill it and make a, you know, a good video with that. He was angry. He was upset. But then Nathan told him, huh, why are you upset? You are the man. Then David confessed, oh, Lord, I'm, I've sinned. 
Remember in the garden when Peter was slow to hear, quick to speak, and quick to anger, and tried to defend the Lord Jesus Christ from the soldier who wanted to apprehend him and take him to court? What he did, he pulled out the, his sword and almost killed one of the soldiers, cutting one of his ears. Many church fights are the result of short tempers and hasty words. Many church divisions start with a difference of opinions and great fights. I became a believer in a Christian church in my hometown in Mexico. I cannot believe my first business meeting when I saw one of the deacons punching the face of the senior pastor. That was the way that they were fixing things there. I still ingrained in my brain that. And sometimes I wonder if something like this will happen to me sometime. <laughs> my goodness, sometimes I wonder. Sometimes among evangelical Christians are the angriest people that I have ever met. But it's not justified. It's selfish anger. There is a godly anger against sin, Ephesians 4.26. And if we love the Lord, we must hate sin, Psalm 97. But human anger does not produce the righteousness of God, James says. What, what, what is exactly what he means? Anger is just the opposite of the patience that God wants to produce in our lives when we mature in Christ. We also may not like... Uh, what the Bible says. I don't know about you, but maybe you became like Thomas Jefferson and you would like to design your own Bible. You know what Jefferson did? There is a, a Bible called the Jefferson Bible. Have you seen it? One time when I was visiting a friend, I saw a copy of the Jefferson Bible. It's just a Bible like yours, but Jefferson took everything that he didn't like from the Bible, remove it directly, and just make a Bible with the things that he likes from the Bible. Sometimes we, we want to be like him. We only read the things that we like. We have problems with some of the things that we find there, like, oh, this is, I'm not sure about that. But the problem is, don't be angry toward God when you don't like, when you see on his word. Believe me, it's like the story of uh, the sailor who is in, in the boat, the captain who is in the, in, in the ship, and they, and they saw another uh, vessel in front of them and, and the, the fog was so dense and, and, the, and they, they, they keep sending the light and they keep sending with a Morse code saying that they need to move and they send back the message, no, you had to move and, and the other vessel was saying the same thing, you had to move so they, this one he wants to, wanted to pull rank, pull rank and says, you know, you need to move I'm the captain of this boat and the other one responds, well you had to move because I'm the lighthouse Cannot move anywhere. And believe me, that's what happens sometimes. We would like for God to change his mind, but actually it is us, the ones who need to change our mind, especially when we don't agree with him. And I have to tell you guys, brothers and sisters, sometimes I don't like the way that God responds to my prayers. I have to confess that. Yes, I asked for a, an apple tree and he gave me a seed. What can I do with this? I asked I ask for an apple tree full of apples, not a seed. What can I do with this? Well, go to the corner of your house, plant it, and you might have many apple trees. But I want it now. 
you know, I'm, I'm asking for an opportunity to serve you, Lord, and the Lord opened an opportunity, and Lord, this is not what I was asking. Well, this is what I wanted to give you. So you got two options. You either do it or you, you do it. <laughs> you submit. And it's hard. I had to confess, it's hard. It's not easy. But James is telling us, you, you, just, need to, you just need to cool down. You just need to slow down. You need to reflect what, what is the temper that you have? What is the angriness that you have? I read this quote one time. Temper is such a valuable thing. It's a shame when you lose it. It is temper that helps to give the steel its strength. James warns us against getting angry at God, especially God's word, because it reveals our sin to us. It's like the man who broke the mirror because he disliked the image that he looked at. People rebel against God because the word of God is like a mirror. It's showing us who we are. So having resigned to yourself to the word of God, to his perspective first, you are quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And then you're ready to receive God's word. Verse 21 says, so get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word of God that God has planted in your heart. For it has the power to save your souls. We are here to expose ourselves to the word by hearing it. But then we need to act. The first response is by receiving it. You hear. How do they know? By hearing the message. We hear, but then we receive it. And receive it is accepting. It's welcoming. The word in Greek for receiving is it's like a hospitality. When you are receiving people at home, you're welcoming. The Lord has been putting something inside you, already planted inside you the word of God when you became a believer. But you just need to clear all, everything that is like a, like a noise. So you can start hearing that voice of God through his word. We are to expose ourselves to the word by hearing it. James touches four aspects of this receiving the word. First, the proper preparation for receiving the word. Put away all filthiness and all kind of wickedness. Second, the required attitude. And what attitude he's presenting here? Humility. Third, the thing to be received, which is the word that has been implanted or planted in you. Remember the parable of the sower and the seed? What kind of soil are you? Are you the kind of soul that you're hardening, that you're not letting the, the seed to get root, the seed of the gospel to get root, and the enemy takes it away? Or are you the kind of soil that when the seed is planted in you, you became very productive? The phrase that James is using here, get rid of, is only one word in the original Greek. And in the Greek text, it means putting off your cloth or, or garment. But in this particular case, like in other cases, like Ephesians 5, for instance, he talks about cleanness, wash away, like a garment that is, is, is filthy into you, you wash it away. But here James is talking about a garment that is totally stained, totally filthy, that there is no way that you can wash it. You just, you just need to get rid of it. You need to throw it away. 
That's exactly the, the, the way that James is presenting this, this word here. He saw the human heart as a heart, as a garden. If you left the garden by itself, it will be full of weeds. So he is urging us, get rid of all the filth and the evil. This gives us the picture of a garden overgrown with a lot of weeds that it's almost impossible to, to sow anything good there. James is saying, pull out the weeds, prepare the soil, be ready so the word of God can find the right place, the right soil. You're already a believer, and they were already believers, but sometimes we are so consumed, so distracted that the word of God might come and will not find any place to be received. We must pray of ourselves for everything and anything that keeps us from hearing. That's the reason why I asked you at the beginning to have that prayer, that moment of prayer, so the Lord can remove anything that is distracting you from listening to the word of God. Because believe it or not, we might be here in body, but not present in our mind. Maybe your mind is already thinking where you're going to go and have lunch today. Or maybe you left the crop pot on and, or you forget to put them on and you're thinking about that. So sometimes we are everywhere except for the place where we need to be. And the enemy is so good distracting us from us to listen to the word. So when it comes to the word of God, you hear it, but not just hear it. You need to do it. Don't start like a Shakespeare with the famous to be or not to be, like saying to do or not to do. That's the question. And my answer to you is just do it. Don't think about it. Just do it. James makes clear, clear that we need, we need to strip off of the sin and humble ourselves so we can receive the, the seed planted in us of the Word of God. The word receive, dekomai in Greek, can also be translated welcome. By using this word humility, James is saying that we need to be truly humble before God, ready to hear his word and receive it. And when you receive it, you who love American football, you know what it is. You, you're preparing yourself. You're receiving the ball that they're throwing at you. And the first thing that you do, you just receive it, embrace it, and then act on it. Don't just pretend that you're not going to get it and just let it, the ball on the floor. You receive it, you protect it, you embrace it, and then you act on it. That's what we need to do with the Word of God. Humble yourself before Him today. How do you prepare? How can we prepare for the Word of God? First, by confessing our sins and asking the Father for forgiveness. First John 1 9, He says that He will forgive us when we ask for forgiveness. By meditating, by reading in his love and grace, asking him to pull out everything, everything that is hardening our hearts. And lastly, we might have an attitude of humility to receive God's word, to be okay, to believe in the word the way that God wants to believe it. Don't argue with God's word. Don't fight with God's word. Just believe it, accept it. The reason for tuning to God's implanted word is because it has the power to save our souls. And we're not talking about salvation from eternal condemnation because 
the readers, many of them were believers. Although the word of God has the power to save people because it can lead you to a relationship with Christ. But it also has the power to, to save you from, from the consequences of temptation and the trials. He can save you also from a broken relationship with God when you commit a sin. The word of God can protect you. Remember, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. And that's a reality. So we understand that it's critical to be quick to hear. Number two, it's critical to be sure to do. <coughs> Excuse me. James is emphasizing here that the most important part of doctrine is right there in the first two letters of the word, do. He puts, he put it like this, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. Notice that James doesn't say, be, just be doers. God isn't looking for activists who doesn't know anything about his word. Nor he is interested in hearers who know nothing about his word. The Greek term for hearers is an interesting one. It refers to someone who audits a course at the university, someone who just listens carefully to all the lectures, take notes, but has no assignments, no tests, no responsibilities. In short, it represents someone who merely takes information. That's what a hearer, hearer is. James plainly states that those who are simply auditing the faith are deceiving themselves about their Christianity. And that's in certain believers who will prove their authenticity by applying what they hear. So the commandment is, don't just hear. Don't just audit your faith. Do it. Do it. Put it in practice. Leave it. Verse 23 says, he uses an illustration to further motivate, motivate his hearers. It says, for if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it is like a glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. It's interesting, right? James gives a very practical application. Have you ever watched yourself in a mirror? Have you? I, I, I believe you do. You know, some, some of you more than others. <laughs> if you hear the word and then you don't do it, you are like a person who is going to, to look at his face in the mirror and then walk away and do nothing about it. Imagine in the morning, and I, and I experienced that this morning, believe me. I woke up in the morning, I look in the mirror, and I was almost screaming when I saw the explosion of my hair. Imagine that I just leave, the, I saw myself, I see the hair, I see, and I don't brush my teeth, and I decided to come to church exactly like that. That's exactly what James is saying. Who in the world can do that? When you look at the, at the mirror, and the mirror is telling you the reality, you do something about it. I know you have a mirror. It's called a smartphone. 
You all have one, if you have one. And most of the time, you're looking at it. We call it in our generation, junior generation, selfie. You know, back in the day, you could probably remember, you young people, you don't, you're going to laugh with this. But when I was in high school, we didn't have, obviously, phones like this. The cameras were the Kodaks, the Kodak, 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 camera. It's only 24 exposures, meaning only 24 pictures I could take with that little camera. 24. So you take one picture, and there is no way that I can flip it over and try to take a picture of myself. I need to find somebody who can do that for me. But then you take a picture, and then you rewind it, find it and, and you take the next one. And you couldn't see it. You couldn't see how your picture would look like. You need to wait. You need to take it to a center to develop the film. And finally, you see that half of your pictures, you are with your eyes closed. <laughs> Today is different. You got the, the, the telephone, the cell phone, the iPhone, and, and then you take a selfie. And, and the first thing that you see is you look at the picture. If your eyes are closed, you just delete and take another one. And maybe you notice that your eyes were open because you, you do it really well, right? <laughs> but then you notice the double chin, and they say, no, no, delete. <laughs> so you finally open it up <laughs> until you got the perfect one. You might take 50 of them, but you got the best one, and that's the one that you post on social, social media. You see, that, that's exactly what Jen is saying. When you take your selfie, when you take a, a look at the mirror, you, you look attentively. Spend time with it. Observe it. And remember, he's talking about the Word of God. Because the Word of God is like a mirror. And back in the day, there were no mirrors that we have today. Like, with, you know, a glass and a silver in the back. There were metals that they brushed. Like a, like a I don't know, like a co copper brush metal. Like a, something like that. So you need to look carefully in order to see your image. So you need to manipulate that mirror in order to see the, who, who you are, what is exactly showing you. That's the concept that James is saying. You need to look at the scripture. You need to look at the mirror, and you need to be attentively looking and trying to find it exactly who you are. Because who you are is exactly what you claim to be. If you say that you believe in Christ, you are a Christian. You are a follower. And if you say that you are a Christian, then you do what a Christian do. What Christ do. So that application is important. James will say, look. Nobody looks at himself in the mirror or a smartphone and sees something wrong and then walk away. It's absurd. You fix it. Well, in our terms, is when you look at the mirror of the word, you just do it. Don't just read it. Don't just listen to it. Just put it in practice. When you look at the word, you find out what kind of person, the new person that you are. And he promised a blessing. He says in verse 25, but if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what he says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. The word translated looks at intently. It's paracupto. It's Peter, you know, it's like imagine that you're walking and suddenly you, 
you saw a, a, a caterpillar right there. And, and then you want to look at the colors, and you, you, you come closer, and you look, oh, it looks really nice. Okay. So you, you, you stop. You, you attentively, you're looking. Do you understand more about who you are because of what the Scripture says? And not only that, you understand more about the Scriptures because you are spending time. That's why we value the fact that we are studying the Scriptures in an inductive form. I really applaud those of you who decided to take a challenge and, and decided to sign up for those Bible studies because the plan is not just coming to listen another Bible study, not coming to listen another sermon, but actually you go deeper and you open it yourself and look at the scripture and attentively. And the blessing is that you will be understanding. You will be blessed because you will be better understand. But also, not only you will be better understand, you will be blessed because you will better stand. Be blessed because you will better understand and you will better stand. You will better stand. And that's amazing because that means that you will be in the firm foundation. Matthew 7, the Lord Jesus Christ was sharing with the disciples a story. And he was using exactly what James is copying here because he, he learned from his half-brother, Jesus, and he is saying the same thing in the Sermon of the Mount. He's saying this in Matthew 7, 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not them, does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. If you are attentively looking at the word of God, the blessing that you have is that you're going to stand because you are going to be building on the rock, and the rock is Jesus Christ. And you will understand that. So as a matter of application, James is not living as orphans. He's given us actually the practical application of the entire chapter. In the last two verses, he's telling us three things, three examples of True doers, doers of the word. Three examples. Listen to what verse 26 says. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion is in the sight of God, the Father, means caring for the orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. The effectual Doers obeys what the scriptures reveal. And in turn, the scripture becomes a mirror reflecting real Christianity for them. How can we know if someone is an effectual doer? James is telling us here. Number one, because we can control the tongue. We can control the tongue. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, it doesn't matter if you come every weekend to the church. It doesn't matter that you serve in the worship team. It doesn't matter if you are a deacon or an elder. If you cannot control your speech, if you cannot control your conversations, whatever you say you believe is nothing. Because what you speak, what you say, it has to be the result of what is happening inside you in your life. Number two, concern for others. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, the Father, means 
caring for the orphans and widows in their distress. Yes, we can take it literally and we can say this, let's, let's care for the widows that we have in our church. Let's care for the orphans that we have in our church. But it goes beyond that. This segment of the population, these two groups represent the lowest of the lowest in the social strata of the time. They didn't have anybody to care for them. So they were forced to beg or do terrible things or just die. To be able to care for them, for those who cannot repay you, is what Jamie is saying. Because it's so easy here to raise some support for those who look like us. We do a transaction most of the time when we do and give something for charity. We give to those causes that we like, that we believe. By giving to those who cannot do anything in return is what James is telling us. And James, in other occasions, you will, you will continue sitting, we're talking about orphans and widows, and that's fine. We, we all agree with them. But alongside with the orphans and widows, we're talking about everybody who is in distress. That means somebody who doesn't look like me, who doesn't speak like me, somebody who has a different accent than, me, than mine, somebody from a different country that lives here, somebody who might be in a questionable, documented situation here, and nothing like that, James is talking. He's saying, care for them. Yes. Those who cannot do anything to repay you. You want to say that you believe really who Jesus is? You know what the definition of hospitality, the word actually is? Love for the stranger. Those who you don't know. Those who look the different color skin than you. So... You're careful with what you say. You control your tongue. You're concerned for others. And lastly, you're concerned also. You consecrate from the world and refuse to let the world corrupt you. To keep yourself from letting the world corrupt us, we need to commit ourselves to Christ, ethical, ethical and moral, but not conform ourselves with the world system. We are not adapted to this world system, which is based. It is your life on the rocks because you allow the truth to practice and drift apart? Or is your life in the rock, which is Jesus Christ? As the worship team is coming, this is a great transition that we're going to have to remind ourselves about the blessing that we have and the great example of this that is Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, he set an example for us. He is the one, not only who is the word, because he was careful and gracious with the, his speech, but also he was having concern for others, especially those who couldn't repay him. That is grace. And he was with no sin when he was in this world.